called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about by much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for standing tonight. You may be seated. There's a similar uh, burden on my heart tonight that was with me Sunday morning. Uh, God has really burdened my heart in in a number of different ways, actually since Brother Holland was here. and of course, we've preached, and I've mentioned that several times, and we've been preaching and teaching along that line, and I'm still anxious and desirous as I preach to you Sunday morning for a breakthrough. There's folks here tonight that need to break through things. There's people at our church that need to break through things. I've been doing a series on Wednesday night. This is part four, Would God Use Me? Would God Use Me, Would He? And uh, we've talked to you about the Syrophoenician woman and and the woman at the well of Samaria and so on. Tonight I want to talk to you about Mary of Bethany. And her total devotion to the presence of Jesus in her house. And I want to mention some things tonight. I don't know if I'll get through all of this tonight. I'm going to do my best to pay attention to the clock and what have you. But uh, I don't want you to receive this tonight as just some generic Bible study. I hope you don't receive anything that we preach or teach here, something generic. But uh, tonight, uh, it's it's a little more applicable, uh, if you will. I want to begin tonight by saying that serving God involves activity. Everybody say activity. And it also involves worship. Serving God involves activity and worship. As a matter of fact, I believe that activity is and should be a form of worship. It is, could be said this way, it is everything that we do in the kingdom of God is as unto the Lord. And both are needed for balance. There, there needs to be a balance of activity and there needs to be a balance of worship. But oftentimes we are more burdened with activity and less committed to worship. And I want to say again at the risk of sounding like I'm on the proverbial soapbox again, but I believe when we gather into the house of the Lord, whether it be Wednesday night or Sunday morning or any other occasion that's relevant and appropriate. There needs to be first and foremost in in, in our head and in our heart that we're here first to worship. We're here first not just acknowledge the presence of God, but to respond to the presence of God appropriately. Uh, As a matter of fact, this may be a good Bible study for the Christmas season. When Jesus was born... I believe, this is my opinion, that the shepherds showed up at the manger 
not really knowing and understanding totally what happened, who this baby was. They were just following the instruction of the angel and so on. But when the wise men came some two plus years later and came to his house, they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, as you know, and they worshiped. They not only acknowledged the presence of God, but they took another step. And they responded to the presence of God in an appropriate way. I get the feeling sometimes that you and I as Pentecostals, and I'll use that term because it's what, all we, can re, it's what we can all relate to, is sometimes I think we become so accustomed to the presence of God, we almost get numb to it. In other words, it really takes something flamboyant on God's part to really to get our attention, and not only to get our attention, but to get out of us the appropriate response. So I'll leave that as it is, and, and I, I believe you get the point. We, we talk about this on a regular basis here at Grace Church. Worship, I believe, is our priority. If you can worship God, then there's a lot of other things that just it breaks open a floodgate. But I just mentioned to you that serving God involves activity and worship. So it is essential. It is essential for all Christian people to know what is acceptable in God's economy. It's imperative that we know what is acceptable in God's world. What does God want? What does God expect? What does God long for? When he shows up here and we feel the presence of God, why is he here? I think for the most part, I think we know why we're here. But do you ever think about why he's here? And if and when he shows up, what is an appropriate response to his presence? The story of Mary, Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 contains examples and principles for all of us to follow. But not only does it give us examples and principles, but it also shows us pitfalls that we should stay away from in our personal worship of Christ. One of the motives behind Martha's behavior may have been a desire. We don't know, but probably a lot of commentaries agree that one thing that may have been behind her behavior that day was her desire to obey the law of Moses concerning hospitality. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, the, the, the law of Moses states, listen carefully, if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him. In other words, you let him go peacefully through. But then in verse 34, the Bible said, but the stranger, the stranger, the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. In other words, if a stranger is staying at your house, he is to be equal with your own kids in the way you treat him. The scripture goes on to say that you shall love him as yourself. So you don't treat yourself any better than you do this stranger that is coming to your house. So 
A lot of commentaries believe that this is what Martha was trying to fulfill. To the Hebrew mind to try to have you understand how she was thinking that day before we judge her too harshly. To the Hebrew mind, the care of guests was very important to them. It was priority to them. They were reminded that you were to accommodate strangers. And to do that, you were keeping the law. If you didn't do it, then you were acting conversely or contrary to the law of Moses. So how much more important would it be to the Jewish mind in that day if your friends were coming over to your house as your guest? I want you to listen very carefully. And I think this is where sometimes Pentecostals don't understand or, or, or don't always perceive. In Martha's mind, it was more important for her to prepare for Jesus coming than it was for her to serve him after he arrived. And I think that's interesting because you know, you look at, at, at Facebook, and, you know, we have a, a church Facebook page, and we have Instagram, and, and we have a website, and we keep all of that current and, and up-to-date and what have you. And so do a lot of other churches. And uh, it's almost like you're trying to promote your church more than you are Jesus. And you promote what you do at your church more than what God does through your church or for your church. And I think sometimes in our effort, in activity, we kind of forget the whole point to the whole thing, and that is worship, worship. Preparation for him can never exceed his presence. Preparation for him can never exceed our response to his presence. So we can straighten up the chairs and vacuum the carpet, and we can have the sound just right, the screens are just right, you know, the, the, the stage up here is just right, everything is just right. And we do it because it's God's house, and it should be done that way. And, and I believe in that, obviously. But if he shows up, and our response to him being here is less than our activity in preparing for him to be here, then we have something wrong with our priority system. It's interesting to me that while Martha was so determined to fulfill the law of Moses and treat strangers in her house, if you will, as though they were her own children, and to treat them as well as she would herself. She forgot who authored that. <laughs> she forgot who wrote that scripture. And it's amazing to me that when Jesus walked in, her whole mindset was to prepare for him, but when he walked in, she didn't respond to him. 
That's an oxymoron to me. How can you prepare and go through all this trouble for someone to come to your house, but then when they come to your house, you don't do anything? Y'all understand, it, 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 it convicts me. And again, this started when, when Brother Holland was here. I don't know, it don't have anything to do with Brother Holland. It's nothing he said or did. It's just the Spirit of the Lord moved on me when he was here. And I still can't get past what God did to me that Saturday night and Sunday morning of that weekend. But it is imperative that when we show up at the house of the Lord, that we come prepared, premeditated to worship. That when the minute we feel the presence of God, we respond to him in an appropriate way. I sometimes get a little animated when I teach and preach and what have you, and, and that's just the way it is, I want to say. But if sometimes you could stand behind this sacred desk and see what I see, when the presence of the Lord is moving and people are distracting or distracted and uh, they're fooling with things that's not important, they're looking at their phone, they're checking out Facebook, what have you. Um, people tell me sometimes that they're actually reading their Bible. Well, I attribute that to you, and I think that's awesome. But if you could do that when you're at home or before church or whatever, don't do it during the preaching. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I was going to mention that Sunday, and I ran out of time. <clears throat> but there should be a prepared response instead of the when the, that look when the presence of God is moving, something needs to happen on the inside of us. Jesus promised during the triumphal entry when the Pharisees pled with him to make the crowd be quiet in their praise and worship to him, he said, if these hold their peace then the rocks will cry out and worship me. Why is that? Because, and I believe God's fallback plan is when mankind doesn't worship him sufficiently as they should, nature will. The psalmist talks about that. The branches of the trees waving and the breeze and so on. The, the nature talks about that. The beauty of nature is as unto the Lord Worship. So God has a fallback plan. I talked to you in the past couple of services, just the fact, just the byproduct of God being God demands that he's worshiped. And it's just startling to me, and I don't mean to belabor the point, and I'll move on in a moment, but I, I need to release this burden that I feel. That when we come to the house of God, we walk in ready to raise our hands, to clap our hands, we shouldn't have to always be asked to do that. When there's opportunity to come down to the front when preaching's concluded, you say, well, I'm okay. You know, I don't need to repent. I don't need to commit. I don't need to do this. I, okay, that's fine if you don't feel like you can do that. But don't you think you should come down here and at least worship a little while? Don't you think that God is desirous of worship? Or do you think he's peaked out and you've worshiped him enough and he don't want to hear you worship anymore? There has to be a response 
Just It's not enough to acknowledge Jesus in the house, but there has to be a response. And that's what Mary was doing. She was responding appropriately. Whereas Martha got so caught up in her tradition, her traditional beliefs, her traditional understanding of God, her traditional convictions and so on, that she missed one of the most grandiose opportunities to express her love and adoration and appreciation of Christ. He was in her living room for crying out loud. This isn't being at the temple and not worshiping. This is in your house, in the presence of God, the power of God, the image of God, the fulfillment of God, the fullness of God, the Christ, the Messiah, is sitting in your living room, and you're setting the table? When the presence of God is among us, it is imperative that we respond to him appropriately. It's really not based on how you feel. So let me say to you tonight, and let me move on. I I, I think you are on a wavelength and you get the point. There's many customs that we keep and that are worthy traditions. Brother Tenney said one time, and I've never forgotten it, you don't... You don't put a fence where God put a gate. And you don't put a gate where God put a fence. And if there's a fence that's been placed somewhere in your life, you need to find out why it was placed there and who put it there and why before you move it. So there's many customs that we keep that are worthy traditions, but every custom and every tradition that we keep should be subject to the scrutiny of the Scripture. And certainly subject to the presence of God. Martha was so consumed with her busyness. Here's where this becomes a detriment to us. She was so consumed with her busyness and her activity that it ultimately affected her attitude. She questioned Jesus' lack of response to her. Now, who should be responding to who here? (laughs) I think when Jesus walks in the house, you stop what you're doing and you give him appropriate response. Mary, or Martha's busyness, affected her attitude that now she's asking Jesus, why aren't you responding to me? She literally felt worthy of commendation. Martha, you're doing a great job, sis. House is beautiful, dessert's beautiful, the meal looks great, da-da-da-da-da. She really felt worthy of commendation from Christ. When the real sense of all of this is that she had done more, or he had done more for her than she could write down in a lifetime. And she never acknowledged any of that. A person's busyness and human matters can cause a lack of spiritual discernment and stifle spiritual growth. At the same time, our busy schedules may promote carnality as a result of our pride for our performance. You know, a pastor walking out here Sunday morning saying, Boy, God, I preached a good sermon today. Or the praise team leaving the platform and saying, boy, God, we, man, we sang good today. 
Y'all get the point? Our purpose is to acknowledge him in all of our ways. And you respond to him appropriately. Martha's attitude was apparent in her outburst to Jesus, questioning whether or not he cared about all the work she had done. When the opposite should have been what was said. Jesus, I care about what you're doing. What I'm doing is not important. What you're doing is everything. You just raised my brother from the dead. Never mentioned it. In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, it describes Martha, if you'll notice the screen, as being cumbered about with her serving. In today's language, we might say she was obsessive in her serving. It, it consumed her. When something is cumbersome, it's difficult to handle or manage. In other words, she had taken on herself something she couldn't handle. She had taken her gifting and put it on steroids, if you will. She couldn't handle it. She had the gifting, but she didn't have the mentality. It consumed her. It possessed her. And look, I know, I know church folks that, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's a lot of, and I'll finish this reading in a moment. But I, I know church people, there, there's, there, there may be some even at Grace Church that, look, I, and I, I give credit to our singers and musicians and, and our media people and, and our production booth people and so on, that oftentimes that's your God connect. And if it was taken away from you, then it would be difficult for you to connect with God. And I believe that. I believe there's some people that play the piano, guitars, whatever, that that's how they worship. That's how they connect. It's their gifting working at its max. It's, it's, it's really them pouring their heart into the kingdom of God. And if you took that away from them, to a great degree, they would lose their God connect. I believe this is what Jesus was trying to say to Martha in reference to Mary. Your gifting is in there in the kitchen doing all the stuff you're doing. But Mary's gifting is to sit at my feet and to worship. And I'm not going to take that away from her. If I took that away from her, her spiritual success would, would become failure. And she would die on the vine. But there's sometimes people carry it too far. They get obsessed with their talent or gifting. They get obsessed with what they do. A sign of people being obsessed with what they do in church where when it comes to activity is when they become territorial with it. I mean, this is where I sit. Uh, this is my chair. This is my instrument. This is my place in the church. And nobody's going to take that away from me. I'm not so sure... If Jesus had asked Mary to go in there and help Martha, that Martha really wanted her help. She just wanted to complain about it. <clears throat> she wanted to point out what she was doing in contrast to what someone else was doing. Let's continue. So when something is cumbersome, it becomes difficult to handle or to manage. Its weight is unevenly distributed. And there's many activities in our life, especially in the church that are important and they are necessary but activity or works can never save us 
I mean, you could teach eight Sunday school classes, but that doesn't mean you're right with God. I mean, you could play 12 instruments and sing four parts harmony at the same time, but that doesn't mean that everything between you and God is where it should be and what it should be. Everything we do is as unto the Lord in a form of worship. And if we're not careful, the very thing we're trying to do to please God and to worship God with can oftentimes hinder our relationship with God. So apparently Martha felt that providing for the physical needs of Jesus, apparently Martha felt that by providing for the physical needs of Jesus, that it exempted her from stopping and listening to him teach. And I do want to say to our sweet production booth people, and they're not all in here, that's all having to do with worship. To all of our singers and musicians, it all has to do with worship. But when that becomes the priority over the presence of God, then something's wrong. And if the presence of God is moving on you, then you lay that aside. If God wants to minister to you, then you set that aside and you let the Lord have his way. And if all of you can't function long enough for Casey to step out behind the keyboard and dance around for a few minutes, then we've got our priorities mixed up. I mean, all of our worship and devotion cannot revolve around a keyboard or any other instrument up here or or the drum set. I think we would be in mighty revival Um, but if Chris Lewis decides to exit the drum cage and run the aisles y'all can tell him I said that and I'm prepared for his response but if he chose to do that we should continue to worship our worship isn't centered this is old school and I I know it's it's, it's kind of repetitive and we've heard it before we need to be reminded that our busyness is never a substitute for his presence And it's dangerous to think that we can substitute various types of activities for a spirit of worship. We need to remember the warning that Jesus gave in the book of Revelation to the church at Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, he said, I know thy works, I know thy labor, your patience, how you can't bear them which are evil, how you uh, have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, found them liars, and has borne and been patient. For my name's sake, you've labored, you've never fainted, but I still have something against you. So you look at this long list of things that they've done, and man, surely you can walk away and say, God's got to be proud. And, you know, God just, I mean, he's bound to bless us. Look look at our resume here. You know, our church has got to be blessed. Look at what all we've done. Look at what we've been through. And we're still here and we're still surviving. But Jesus went on to say, I still have something against you. Folks, there is never anything that can supersede his presence and our proper response to his presence. The Bible said the church of Ephesus 
left their first love. In other words, they forgot why they were there to start with. They moved on to another reason. They established another priority. Work is important, but the nurturing of our love for Jesus is more important. And Mary was looking for the one who was more than a teacher and more than a prophet. There was a desire in Mary's worship to develop a deeper, more spiritual relationship with Jesus. She was ready to commit all that she had to receive truth and life from him. Whereas Martha was ruled by a sense of duty that kept her from enjoying the liberty of worship. But Mary had developed a discernment that freed her from any burden of duty that would prevent her from benefiting from what he was saying. God help us tonight that when we arrive at the house of God and again to tap on to Sunday morning as we are approaching 2016 and our time on this planet is getting less and less. It's happening all around us and you all know that. I believe it's imperative that our worship for Jesus needs to ascend higher and higher on our priority list. We need to make that important. We need to make it imperative not only in church but everywhere we go and everything we do needs to be as unto the Lord. And our works and our business can never take the place of his presence. I want the presence of God in our church. I want the presence of God in my home. I want the presence of God in my life. And I'm not willing to to be more active than I am in acknowledging him. So whenever... We try to form a discipline of worship. We have to base it on what is acceptable to him. It's what he wants. I had a little bit of fun before church tonight, and somebody left a cheap ink pen up here on the pulpit, and we don't leave ink pens. And Nothing goes on the pulpit but what is necessary to aid the preacher. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have this little piece of plexiglass that holds my notebook or iPad up. So when I look down, I'm not doing this. I just look down a little bit and I can look right back up at you. And um, nobody messes with the desk up here. I just want to go ahead and say that. It's not a chair. I don't believe y'all are messing anything in the church in a disrespectful way. But this is a sacred desk. Uh, It holds the Word of God, and the Word of God comes from it, comes over it. But anyway, somebody put little stickers on the piece up here. I assume it was a child. It's two or three little kitty stickers and I thought no we don't do that I'm that adamant so I peeled them off immediately if it was your child and your feelings are hurt over that you have to get over it it is what it is but everything we do here it's about worship and this pulpit is about worship so anyway somebody left a little cheap ink pen up here and So I walked around the church, talked to two or three people about it tonight before church, and I said, I've got this top-quality ink pen. It is a paper-made ink joy. This is top-quality. 
and I offered it to somebody for free. And they had no trust in pastor. I don't know why, but they're like, there's either something wrong with it or it's out of ink or whatever, and I don't want no part of it. I said, well, hurt my feelings. I'm trying to be nice and Merry Christmas present and giving you a top quality paper mate ink joy ink pen. So I went on to somebody else and somebody else and I finally found somebody that said, well, I mean, I finally, in order to give it away, I just finally said, I'm going to throw it away. I don't want it. We'll just, well, I'll take it then. And I didn't do that for the benefit of this presentation tonight, but now that I think back, I'm trying to give that ink pen away. I wonder sometimes when we hear a message or a Bible study, if it's not directly relevant to us, we summarily say, I, and this is not an implication on anybody over the ink pen, just using that as an example. I've heard people say, I've heard people walk up to, to me and say, boy, pastor, that message was right to me. That message was for me. But I very rarely get that. But I can truthfully say, I've never had anybody walk up and say, you know, that didn't make an ounce of sense to me, and it wasn't no more for me than flying to the moon, and I wasn't interested in one thing you had to say. I had nobody do that. And don't start. If that's the way you feel, keep your dumb opinion to yourself. <clears throat> I believe it's imperative that we understand tonight that if you're trying to give God something from you that he doesn't want, you're really wasting your time and trying to give it to him. And when it comes to half-hearted, carnal, traditional worship, I don't believe he's interested in that. I preached to you a couple of Sundays ago about real worshipers. Jesus said, the Father seeketh such. And I'll remind you again, the Samaritan woman, the huge advantage against the backdrop of everything that was wrong in her life, the greatest advantage that she had was that she was a worshiper, and that's what he was going after. I'll forgive everything you've done to get your worship. I'll forgive everything you've done if you'll give me your worship. Now, I don't read anywhere in the Bible where it says that. But I do believe there's some implication in the Bible about that. And he'll forgive you of anything to get your worship. It don't matter if you've had five husbands and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. If you'll worship me, I'll look over all that and forgive it. And you're all mixed up in your doctrine and your theology about who the Messiah is. He's standing right in front of you and you don't even know him. And you think you ought to go up in the mountain to worship and go to Jacob's well and worship and the temple to worship with Jewish people and Jewish people don't want me there and all that. You're all mixed up, messed up in your theology, your doctrine, your point of view, your mentality. And besides that, you're a horrible sinner. But if you'll give me your worship, I'll block all of that out for your worship. We have to recognize his view of the things that we do. We have to recognize his view. It's essential 
that we do that. We need God to direct us into the ways that are acceptable to him. You know, in the formation of the New Testament church, there came a time when energetic people were sought out by the apostles for the work of the church. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles instructed the disciples to begin a search for seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They needed some faithful people who would be in charge over the business of the church. They were to oversee the distribution of food and other provisions for the widows of the church. And the people sought out those who could lead them in the activity of serving others. In Acts chapter 6, the Bible tells us the names of those men who were selected among them, who one was named Stephen. It's interesting to me that he was chosen for the service of the church, to wait on tables, to serve in food lines, to feed the widows and orphans, and to minister and administer over the business affairs of the church, but later on was noted for doing great miracles and wonders among the people. As a matter of fact, Stephen was subsequently stoned to death for his boldness before the Jews in the synagogue. Stephen is an example of one who can contribute well to the work of the business activities of the church and still maintain and retain spiritual discernment. In other words, because I'm used here at church does not exempt me from being used of God outside the church. In other words, our focus on being a total developed Christian person should not be based on what we do in this house, but it needs to be based on what we do in this house and outside of this house. Sister April, if you don't mind, and I'm, I'm going to stop right here, but <clears throat> we'll pick this up uh, next Wednesday. I'm, I'm not nearly done with this. Um, but Sister April, if you don't mind, you remember in a couple of services, I, I taught is on a Wednesday night, and I think I mentioned it the following Sunday morning, about how if you encounter people and they need prayer, to uh, let's pray right now. As a matter of fact, I had that experience somewhere just, just a couple of days ago. It seems to pop up in my life pretty regular that somebody said that to me, and uh, let's pray, and, or, or would you pray for me? And I, I said, we'd be happy to. She said, no, I mean right now. So we prayed right now with all the commotion going on around. So I illustrated that, and I think Sister Brandy ended up going to the chiropractor for a few days after I got done with her to illustrate on what not to do. You know, it's not this, okay, let's pray, my, my beloved Heavenly Father, I ask you right now to come down in a mighty force of power and touch this prayer. No, no, no. Not that. Not that. Just, you okay? I can't mess with him. He hits back. But it's just a simple God minister to Brother Greg, minister to his family, pray that you would keep your arms around him, minister to the need in his life, and so on. It's praying along that line. Well, Sister April took me up on that. She texted me last week and said uh, there was someone she works with, had some things going on in their life, and she said, Sister April said, do you believe in prayer? And the lady said, yes, I do. She said, do you mind if we pray now? And took her by the hand and prayed. And about an hour later, the lady came back and said, I feel just amazingly better. I believe God's got everything in control. It was a huge success, man. 
And this is what God wants us to do. I want to ask you folks again, would God use you? He will. He's looking for your worship. And if you'll give him your worship, as the Samaritan woman did, you can run back into your village and say, let me tell you about a man that told me everything that I did. Told me about the men I was married to and living with and how horrible I was, but he's great, and I want it. The Bible said she preached to her entire village about Jesus. That's the impact that God wants to have with us on our community, one person at a time. So I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to plead with you. I just heard about a, 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 a true story that happened in the 80s of a woman that encountered a serial killer in Texas. This is documented, true story. He had already killed some 15-plus people. I forgot his name. That's not what made an impression on me. But the last lady that he literally forced her into the car as an escape, he didn't hurt her in any way other than terrorizing her emotionally. She didn't know who he was but forced her into her car and made her drive him some 40 or 50 miles to a bus station. She had been to her church of whatever faith that morning and told her pastor, I really want God to use me today. And he did. She got in the car, forced into the car, her car with that man. He pulled a gun on her and made her drive. And she looked at him and said, do you know that Jesus loves you? And he laughed and scoffed and what have you, and I'm an evil man and so on. And he said, I'm going to hell, and if you don't drive and do what I told you, I'm going to drag you to hell with me and all that. She said, it doesn't matter what you do to me. Jesus still loves you, and he'll forgive you if you'll ask him. And he, she just kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and finally persuaded him to let her stop for a moment. They, he made her drive around some five hours, got out of the car, and he held his gun to her head and said, tell me why you think God would forgive me. She said, well, he died for your sin. He shed his blood. And so I don't know what face she was. The story didn't say. But she just preached to him everything she could think of with a gun pointed right at her forehead. And he said, okay, I'm going to do that. He let the gun down, stared straight up into heaven and said, God, would you forgive me of my sin? And he testified later that something happened to him when he said that. A few minutes later, they got back in the car. And the woman told him, said, you know what? There's a notepad in the glove box that has all of my favorite scriptures. It's a whole bunch of them, all of my favorite scriptures written down on it. And I'll trade you, I'll give you that notepad if you'll give me the bullets out of your gun. The man thought about it and smiled and scoffed for a few minutes but couldn't forget the experience he just had on the side of the road. I don't know what happened to him. They didn't say. But he finally unloaded that gun and handed her the, the bullets. And she said, okay, that notebook's in the glove box and you can have it. He took it. She dropped him off the bus station. And she immediately left and alerted the police. And they came and arrested him. And he had that gun, and he had more bullets in his pocket, and he had reloaded it. And he told the police that arrested him, said, if you would have caught me about two hours ago, 
I would have shot every one of you down. But because a woman gave me this little black book, you can take me to jail. The man was executed and requested that this woman come visit him before he was executed. And he gave her credit for saving his life, and he was able to establish a relationship with God before he was executed. Would God use me? You don't have to be flamboyant. You don't have to be intelligent. I've been scripture. You don't have to have all of that. But God would use anybody in this building. And I want to tell you, I want everybody to understand, if you're a worshiper, Abraham was a worshiper. I can take you through the scripture. David was a worshiper. And if you look at the measure of transgression that was in their past, Abraham was an idolater. I mean, he broke one of the first commandments. Thou shalt not worship any other God, you name grave an image. But God took advantage of his desire to worship something and made a, the father of, one of, the, of the greatest nation on this planet out of him. And the woman with the dwell of Samaria, Jesus, she, she told her whole village about Jesus. Would God use me? He will. If I can get him in that rightful place in my life as God, and I worship only him, and I'm never too busy to properly acknowledge him. I'm never too busy. I'm never too obsessed in what I'm doing to stop and acknowledge the presence of God. I caught myself today walking around out in my garage saying, God, I'm thankful. God, I'm thankful. This isn't an attaboy moment, but these things stay in my head. It rolls in my spirit all the time. And I'm truly thankful for Jesus. And I always want to have the posture of a worshiper. If I can, he'll use me. He'll use me. Thank the Lord. Let's stand together and uh, let's have a time of prayer before we're dismissed. Father, we love you tonight. And I'm ever grateful for the amazing word of God that's so real and powerful and true. I'm thankful for your presence. And I pray, God, tonight that our posture, that the posture of Grace Church is not only that you're welcomed here, but we'll respond to you appropriately. That when your presence is in the building, our hearts are going to fly open. Our minds are going to fly open. Our hands will raise. Our hands will clap. Our feet will pat. Our mouths will fly open. We'll do whatever we have to do to properly acknowledge the presence of God in this house. I pray, God, that you would never leave us and you promised that you would not. But as long as you abide with us, help us to always, always, always respond to you appropriately the way you want to be responded to. Bless tonight this beautiful congregation of people and help us to leave here tonight and to be as busy about your kingdom outside as we are inside. Talk to us tonight. Minister to us, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. <clears throat> God bless you, sweet people. Love Grace Church. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.